want to start rapping. You got bars? I got bars. Go ahead, get in. Hey, 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 for the people checking in, what we have to say, I just want to say, hey, welcome to the day, to the day where we celebrate all the women in the month, because we love them. Okay, you didn't get seasonal quite. But that last, that last part didn't that rhyme. That last part didn't quite sometimes, connect. Sometimes you got to get grace but to I, I, I a Sunday. I, but I, I do completely appreciate how you embraced it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You got called out on it and you went for it. Nice. So, you know, ah. I'm always respectful of that. Ah. Right out. Right right so, it is Women's History Month. Let's like, before we even talk about, and I got this, I got this from, uh, I call them the women now because I don't, uh, or seasoned women or mature mm-hmm. women. I'm on this call mm. with some very mature women who, uh, will not say they old. And I'm all, I'm all with that, you yeah. know, although I have my mm-hmm. personal philosophy of like, I'm aging, I'm aging gracefully. You get older, you get cold. So mm-hmm. I'm going to take the former mm-hmm. and be all right with it. But, um, she says, we're going to talk to some, Notable hopefuls. What should you say? Women of note. That's right. Um, but before we get to like notable quotables, mm-hmm. um, I want to just give a shout out to women, period. Um, all of the just mamas and aunties and godmothers and sisters and friends and cousins and those women who just do the real work every day that are rarely. Um, you know, mm-hmm. sh- shout it out. You know, they're not the people, folks walking around quoting, and but they're the ones who are making the difference That's in right. our communities and our schools and our lives. Right. So, hats off to the women. Yeah, shout out. And I would be remiss if I didn't shout out my own mother. Yay! Yes. Doña Angelica Dominguez. <laughs> Yo, shout out, mom. You know, she came over here when she was 10 years old in the back of a van. Mm back of a van and when she started school um, she told me how she would get bullied awfully because she couldn't speak English um, so shout out my mom who had five boys and and practically raised us herself my mom would be so jealous of that because you know my mom had five girls wow <laughs> I love that and shout out to yeah. you rest in power mama uh, the, the late stamps. queen Marion Stamps but um, she, and she always wanted boys. My sisters mm. and my sisters and I believe that God didn't give her boys on purpose because she would have spoiled them. <laughs> you know, because she would have like my mother really did yeah. fit that like black woman trope where yeah. we like raise our daughters and spoil our sons mm-hmm. because um, even the brothers that she kind of took in. Um, as young men, she was she was so doting on them. I mean, she mm-hmm. was she was firm, but she was not the same as she was uh, with the five of us who were who all of my sisters are ridiculously independent. And mm-hmm. I think a big part of that is because of the way my mom raised us. Yeah. So um, we always feel bad because um, after she passed away, then we there are so many boys Mm-hmm. In the family now, like, you know, there were so many, um, I had two boys, my sister has she two boys, right? Now. So she had, she would have mm-hmm. had all these grandsons. There was a, like about five or six, like great grand boys. Mm-hmm. So she would have been surrounded by all of these boys. And my son, uh, Nazareth, who's the oldest, um, so misses the fact that he didn't know my mother, that mm-hmm. he, he researches Talk her like a, like a student. Like, so he knows 
He knows Honestly. stories from us, of course, but <clears throat> he's like, I want to know everything about my grandmother. I want to know everything wow, about my so grandmother. Powerful. And he's like, you know, sometimes he's like, but sometimes, mom, I feel like my grandmother is with me. And I'm like, she is, yeah. you know, she's an ancestor. Yeah. But she is definitely with you. And it does hurt. But she would have been so jealous that your mom have five boys. <laughs> five boys. Five boys. And she had five chicks running around. And look, I'm, I am the smallest. You know Are you saying? serious? Yeah, yeah. Because oh, my 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 pops is a big man. He's he's six two, but you know he's he's shrunken since he's gotten older. <laughs> but but all of my brothers are over six feet tall, and um, you know the two the two oldest over two hundred. You know what I'm saying? So okay. solid men, solid men, solid out solid. here repping for the yeah. Dominguez clan. And my clan. mom's is like five two. Oh, at, she's a little bitty thing. She's little. Yeah, she's so small. And, you know, my, it always kills me when I see couples like that, right? Where the little lady is really small and the man is like towering over her. My uncle, who everybody knows, um, lives with me. My uncle Richard. Hey, shout out to Richard Earl. Um, his wife was like that. She was like. Five feet, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe even four eleven, mm-hmm. and my uncle's like six three. Mm-hmm. Yep, I mean, like she's so little. But anyway, the power of women. I know she was a powerhouse too. Uh, rest in peace, Aunt Marjorie. She um, uh, was born and raised in Cabrini Green, and then one of those people that got their degree and went back and taught mm-hmm. there first before she went anywhere else. So um, rich legacy there. But we have so many amazing women that. Um, you that. know, I want to give you your flowers now. Definitely. Right? The notorious SDG. That would be Stacey Davis Gates, the president of Chicago Teachers Union. One of our, let's just do it as you you call them out. We don't, we're going to do the sponsor, right? Because one of our sponsors, thank the sponsors, Chicago Teachers Union Foundation. Carmen Correa. Is that what we're supposed to do? No, yeah, just keep going. <laughs> No, we don't want to do that. I'll be over here jacking some names up. Um, uh, Diane Palmer. Shout out. Uh, SEIU, uh, specifically ACII, even though Diane Palmer is 73. That's okay. Um, Erica Bland. There you go, ACII. Shout out. Lakeisha Collins. Shout out to Rep, but not a sponsor. Not a sponsor, okay. But we can do uh, Friends of Brandon Johnson. Friends of Brandon Johnson. Well, shout out Stacy, his wife. Yes, shout out to Stacy Johnson. Like, And just... Just a little bit of thing, right? So I was on the call with the women, mm-hmm. and um, we were planning this event, and they said, we really want to know Brandon's wife. We hear all these amazing things about him being this great family man. We really want to see his wife. And I said, Stacy's really low-key, right? Um, and, and I don't know what the agreement is. But she's really low key and we respect that. You know, we respect her privacy and she's mm-hmm. a devoted wife and mother and we respect their privacy. I said, but there is a clip of um, Stacy talking about Brandon mm. and let me send you the clip. So I sent her the clip and she calls me back like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking That's about. Right. Oh, she's just lovely. She's just lovely. Um, so Stacy. Johnson really is lovely That's and right. a lot of people don't know this but you know I've known Brandon like almost 17 years now mm-hmm. Stacy's hilarious mm-hmm. That's the other thing she has like a wicked sense of humor she is so funny mm, I love she that She is so so very funny so That's yes. how you know behind every man there's a greater woman Oh yeah mm-hmm. absolutely and there so a lot of people don't know this but those who know me do know that I like love Beyonce and um she says that, like, in, in, in one of her songs, I think it's, um, wait a minute, which, which is it? But in one of the songs, she says all of this stuff about 
knowing how bad she is, but I let you take the lead because that's what we do. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Power. She, she got it. She understood the dynamic of of balance, the balance of power, power in relationships. Wow. And she was never threatened by that. Like, that's it never powerful. came across in the music that she was threatened by that, right? That's so powerful. And, um, Cater to You keeps popping into my head, but that's definitely not the song that I'm talking about. Although, I do think it's a dope song. <laughs> Let's finish with the sponsor. Right. Shout out to S- 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 CFL, Chicago Federation of Labor, Andrea Kugler, Izzy Dobo, uh, all of them. All that, get it, get it. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, we are surrounded and sponsored by some amazing, powerful women that's uh, that's just putting it down in progressive spaces everywhere in the city of Chicago and amplifying their voices and improving the quality of lives of women and people who are a part of those Mm -hmm. organizations, be it um, the city colleges or unions. They are doing incredible, incredible selfless work um, to amplify the voices of women. That's right. And can we, um, you know, before we bring on our, our amazing guests today who have powerful stories to tell, and I'm super excited to get into that. Um, I know Tara's always spitting bars on the history of things, right? I'd like to go into a little bit on the history of Women's History Month um, and talk about how that came to be. Because as I was reading up on it, it's, it's very powerful. You know, I was reading it actually started as a day. Um, a day that was celebrating the one-year anniversary of the Garment Union. Um, and they celebrated this day on a Sunday so that people wouldn't actually miss work. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, they, they were celebrating how women came together, formed the union, um, and now we're, we're in their power, working in their power, right, as workers should be. And then in March, on March 13th, actually over 100 years ago, so that's tomorrow that we'll be celebrating Ooh. this. 8,000 women gathered in D.C. Um, to fight for voting rights, right, to suffrage, to end women's suffrage. And which to, started, <clears throat> which didn't start in, <clears throat> the fight for suffrage started before 1913, mm-hmm. but one of the um, hike, uh, moments in history is the suffrage march of mm-hmm. 1913 when, when scores uh, of women, primarily white, um, marched down Pennsylvania Avenue and in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. uh, demanding their right to vote. And I would be remiss if I did not mention that the 22 founding members of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated uh, were a part of that march, I as was that. Ida B. Wells. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a few other black women who were not like up in it, but a part of of that development mm-hmm. of the suffrage march. So I- Personally, as I was reading about this, I thought it I thought it was so, so powerful um, because to your point that you were making earlier, you know, through alluding to Beyonce's song, um, women just have come such a long way. And yet there is so much more to do to truly fight for women's rights. Right. The fact that women still historically and present day get paid less than a man fraction of what a man gets paid yeah a fraction um from what i was understand what from what i heard recently um 
black women in particular get paid 67 cent on for every dollar a white man mm. uh, makes. And I was just well, he was talking about the history. Um, the month was instituted by Jimmy Carter mm-hmm. in 77. So, yes, it was a day and then it grew. Uh, not unlike uh, Black History Month, which started off as a week and then grew into this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, just this month. um and I didn't know this until fairly recently, like maybe in the last couple of years, that when you have Black History Month and you have Women's History Month, they have a theme for the month. And so the theme for um, Women's History Month this year is celebrating women who tell our stories. Wow, that's powerful. We, did, we both didn't know that until just now. Celebrating women that tell our stories. So that's going to be a great lead in for the women who we're going to have on today as guests Mm -hmm. because they're able to talk about what we hear a lot about in news about what Paul Vallis did, the Chicago public Mm -hmm. school system. But it will be from the perspective of their lived experience as Chicago public school educators who were educators before Vallis. And during Vallis, and one uh, is retired, but one is still um, a Chicago public That's school right. teacher. So I definitely want to want to say thank you in advance for their time and for telling our stories. And before we get into this break, I just want to say good on California. Good on California, because as we're talking about women's rights, we have to uplift the um, the pro-choice movement. Right. And California has now is now ending their contract with Walgreens because Walgreens has decided to stop selling abortion pills even into states that are still um, pro-choice and so good on California for for moving and standing with women thank you and standing firm on that because it's about us having agency over our own bodies that's right Um, and that's a bigger more critical approach to the discussion about pro-choice or pro-life it's about women having agency over their own bodies never in the history of history have we introduced anything that the government mm-hmm. had a say in what happens to men's bodies? Mm-hmm. And so I am I am beyond angry. I'm like, take to the street and burn bras angry about what I see as us repealing the rights of women in this country. But thank you for that shout out. And More thank you on for amazing that. stories after this break. Stay tuned. Chicago will be right back. solo there's no snare in my headphones <laughs> dude is always trying to break out something random the story <laughs> hey let me stop disrespecting women on women's history month i'm gonna stop that he's not being disrespectful but he is silly and i wish they would stop hiring these kids <laughs> i keep telling <laughs> Let's get into it, Chicago. Let's get into it. I think our our um, first guest um, is Alice Smith Jones, a retired Chicago public school teacher. I have the pleasure of uh, just meeting her very, very recently um, as we were planning an event. And uh, last night I thought. Wow, wouldn't it be good to get some uh, women on the show this Women's History Month to talk about? Uh, the Chicago public school system before and during Paul Vallis and how that changed, because we we just hear the kind of talking points 
uh, through news media and, 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 but we don't hear people's stories and what that experience was like. So, um, do we have you on, Miss Alice? Miss Alice, yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. How are you? And welcome to the show. Miss Alice, really quickly, um, how long did you teach for CPS? I taught, taught for over 33 years. Wow. I taught 33 years in the system. Bless wow. You. So first of all, thank you for that, because um, that's just sheer dedication. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have problems now with teachers even staying five years, like the turnover rate for teachers um, is so high. Um and, and a lot of that has to do, I believe personally, with how they corporatized public education and um, in many ways just took the, the joy out of learning. And it's hard. It's a different kind of hard to be a teacher now. What was it like before Paul Vallis? Well, uh, the schools were like um a sanctuary for the uh, neighborhoods. They supported the neighborhoods and the parents. And uh, you could always come to the school if parents had any problems or anything for some type of refuge, you know, like if you had any problems Mm. or things like that. The schools helped the community. Uh-huh. They were very involved in the community, and I don't think you find that type of situation going on now. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, even now, I go in the schools and I do day-to-day subbing, and there's there's quite a bit of difference mm-hmm. um, in how the schools function then and how they function now. Mm-hmm. Ms. Alice, you said something so powerful right now. You said the schools were a refuge. You know, people could come there for safety, to feel safe. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things you, you've you seen, you know, you've experienced in that, you know, in, in the school being a refuge? Can you talk, tell us a little, some stories maybe? Well, p- parents that had problems with their children, there were counselors there to have some type of support system. There were nurses in the schools. You know, when children were sick, they could go downstairs and, you know, have a timeout period or mm-hmm. uh, things like that. There were people in the schools that supported family. Mm-hmm. And um, that made people feel more secure and uh, it was a better relationship between school and families and parents and how did how did Vallis uh, change that that relationship how did his policies um, change that relationship and what impact did his policies have on students families and and certainly uh, teachers well, I think when uh, Vallis came into the system, there were already people in place. There were three black women there at the time I was there in the system. We had districts at that time, and in those districts, we had school superintendents. It was school superintendents, and they were over so many schools. They were responsible for so many schools. So there were about there were a couple of women that were very influential at that time. There was Blondine Davis and Cosette Bugney, Lula Ford. All of them played a 
and these were uh, black women. They play, played a great part in the system. And as a matter of fact, they had to work under Vallis because Vallis had no former uh, educational experience. And at that time, Daly created the CEO, created position, a position for him, which was the CEO of the public schools because he wouldn't hire these black, the black women that either of them that had experience, and they had to work under him. So at that time, teachers came up for a position through the rank, like you were a teacher, and then if you wanted to be a counselor, you had to come up like that, then assistant principal, then a mm-hmm. principal. You just, you just couldn't come into the school and be a principal without teaching or being familiar with the climate of the school the school and how things worked, you know. And, so, how, how, and I know that I know that's certainly not the case now because they have, you know, what I call just add water principles all over the place that come from all of these alternative programs and they have little to no teaching experience and yet they are trusted to come in and uh, be the principal of schools. What did that kind of what did the destruction of that um way of being coming up through the ranks how did that um, negatively impact the relationship between teachers and principals well the the school worked very well because by teachers coming up through the ranks well they knew the children they knew the teachers the teachers had a better relationship with Mm -hmm. the principal it wasn't so much of uh, the principal's uh, that now they rate the teachers and they uh, have these, I think they go under certain standards that the teachers have to be uh, rated by. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they have the same type of relationship. Principals and teachers don't have the same like type of relationship as they did then. Then teachers and principals were very connected, you know, because they had worked together and shared the same experiences. Mm -hmm. And when you've been a teacher and a counselor, uh, assistant principal, you know more about how things go on a daily basis, how the school is run. Uh, what the children and the teachers need to be successful in education. And it was a good relationship. It was a very good relationship at that time. Miss Alice, what what you've spoken to is, is, you know, nowadays we have all kinds of words for things, but the the current word that we're using, current name for these schools, uh, uh, sustainable community schools, that's really, you know, you just depicted the archetype of how we had these schools at one point now, and, and we've lost them, right? And it's leadership like uh, those of Paul Vallis that has um, took us away from that. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about knowing what, you know, it was like under Paul Vallis? What could it be like? What do you see schools being like under his leadership? Well, when he came in by him not knowing how the schools were run, and um, he brought in a testing system that really um, didn't, it, it, it really didn't work with the mm. public school system because um, he thought the 
testing system that we had was antiquated, but really uh, the educational system at that time, because teachers taught music, they taught, um, you know, they taught the whole child. You know, they taught the children how to write. If you look, even look at the structure of the old report cards, if you went to school here in the city of Chicago, they had all the subjects on the report card, you know, mm. handwriting. I mean, we educated the whole child. Um, and if you had any ch- problem with uh, a child, there was always a counselor or a nurse or somebody in the school that you could go to and the principal would support this mm. and you would have conferences with the parents and things like that. Uh, during the time, he, um, they stopped paying into our pension. Mm. That's one thing they did. And they said they were... I think the expression was something like taking a holiday. Mm. And for two years, they didn't pay, about two years, they didn't pay into our pension, but they still had the teachers pay. They were still taking out mm. for our pension, but they weren't paying into it. Wow. So still today, that affects our pension because for a few years, they did not pay, and teachers suffer from that. We suffer right mightily because like, what a lot of people don't realize is that teachers don't get paid for the summer. Teachers do not get yes. Social Security. So no. our pension is our defined benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, is, it, is, it is the trade-off that we made um, for accepting lower salaries because we were getting our money away for our retirement. So when they... Uh, stop paying into our pension, it went from our pension being 100% fully funded, meaning retirees would get their just compensation to that being fraught That's right. with problems for yeah. teachers who had already done the work. But Miss Alice, you said something um, when I was talking to you earlier that I really think I want people to hear. You talked about the impact that Paul Vallis' testing system had specifically on black boys. Mm. Well, I've listened to that commercial on that um, uh, President Clinton says, and he says that Vallis ended social promotion, but he doesn't tell how he ended social promotion. Uh, what happened was three, six, and eight was tested, and if the young people, if the young ch- children didn't pass the test, they would have to repeat the grade. And they had summer school. You could go to summer school and you could be retested. Mm. And this is, I think, the start of teachers teaching the test. This was the start of it because he took the old test away, but in the new test. And um, what happened was kids were not sometimes passing this test, and it affected our young boys because... Some of them would be in third or sixth grade two or three times. And, I mean, they would, like, age out. Mm. You know, they would be older and they would still, you know, be in the same grade. And this affected our young black boys a great deal. And I think this also gave them a feeling, affected them by not wanting to move on. Mm. 
and further their education, I, I think that this had a great deal to do with it, the testing system. Right, so black boys were being... At that time. So black boys were being retained because they weren't passing a test that is based on these antiquated systems in the first place. Systems that don't yeah. pertain to them, don't speak and to bias, them. And bias. Right. Kind of, you know, that's yeah. complete with racial bias mm-hmm. in the test. To me, um, as a teacher, I was I was there. My my, I came in right when Paul Vallis, I think he had been in for maybe a year or so, because mm-hmm. I started in 96, 97 um, school year. And so he had already started by the time I got there. But what I remember so distinctly is my mother um, who appeared on WVON and she was talking about um, beware of the voucher. Mm. So it was Paul Vallis who yes. ushered in charter schools. The yes, he was. And he yes, used he a lot of carceral language when talking about our schools. So our schools were put on probation and they were turned around and they were reconstituted. Reconstitution. And what did, I, I don't know if you were ever in a reconstituted school, uh, Miss Alice, or, uh, but I know you may have had friends because, you know, at that time, and it's been more than now, but during this time, over 6,000 black teachers had lost jobs through the reconstitutions How and turned around 6,000. Wow. I was looking at that quote earlier, that number earlier. Wow. And and that hemorrhage of black teachers has continued since um, because he laid the groundwork through turnarounds and reconstitution and charter schools, which made our community schools, our neighborhood schools vulnerable. And so... Mm-hmm. Then they were under enrolled because the students were being transferred out and going to the charter schools. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of that, you know, then Renaissance 2010 and all those other uh, Arnie Duncan came in and it was under Arnie Duncan when the 50 schools were closed. Mm-hmm. However, Chicago public school schools, primarily in black neighborhoods, have been closing before we got to the closing of 50 schools. Right. Um, but do you remember, uh, um, I think we're about to head to a break, mm-hmm. um, but I, w- I just wanted to talk about that just the, the attitude, the energy, the, the emotional impact all of that had, not just on schools, but on school communities and how that impacted students and families when schools were closed and reconstituted mm-hmm. and turned around and everybody in the building was fired wow. from the lunchroom lady to the janitor. Wow. To the janitor, that's right. Wow. That's right. They started bringing in private organizations. They started privatizing. Mm. Uh, there were no more teacher aides to support the teachers. They limited them to support the teachers. We always had teacher aides. Most classrooms had uh, some type of assistance. In the classroom before Vallis came in, um, but as he came in, he cut those he cut those positions, mm-hmm. and uh, he uh, would have a limited amount of teacher aides in the schools to help several classrooms. Miss Alice, we're about to go to a break, but if you could just say one thing about why Vallis would be dangerous for the city, what would you say? I think he would be dangerous for for the city is because he's not in the interests of African American people in our education, mm. and um, he's not supportive. Mm. Uh, he's gone um, 
I think he went over and above during his time in the public school system to start our schools just going downhill and our children not having much interest in education. I think uh, the testing that Mm. they even do now is over-testing. They over-test the children. They don't uh, consider them as even human beings. They sit in front of a Chromebook all day. I go in the schools now, like I said earlier, and they sit in front of a Chromebook all day, and if you write your name on the board in cursive, they don't know what it says. Mm. Our children are not being educated because they're taught to be almost like human robots. Wow. Thank you so much, Miss Alice. Thank you so much. You you hold on to that. We'll be right back, Chicago. We have many more stories to tell. Chicago, Chicago, we are in tune with amazing, amazing women that have powerful stories of what education was like under Paul Vallis and what it could be like under Paul Vallis. Um, Tara, you want to tell us about who we have on next? Yes, we have Miss Renee Criswell, and she's going to um, share with us um, her experience as a classroom educator before and during and even after Paul Vallis, because I think she has uh, such a great lens to speak on. She's a true student of history and Chicago politics. And as I was saying during the break, a lot of his very draconian um, anti-black um anti-people of color policies that he implemented during his tenure um, have far-reaching, you know, they lasted beyond his tenure. And children were still harmed as a result of many of those policies. So, Ms. Criswell, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Um, You know, I just want to say that I've been teaching for 33 years. When I began teaching, Mayor Daly was in the beginning of his tenure as mayor. So um, he had he had a vision of what he wanted for Chicago, and I don't think his vision included black people. Hmm. So he set up he he set up um, the path that has led to so many blacks being. Um, kicked out of Chicago, pushed out of Chicago, uh, taxed out of Chicago. And part of his plan had to do with the schools. You have a relationship, like your last uh, speaker was saying, a relationship between the schools and the community, between the teachers, the principals, the staff, and the families that they serve. And when I began teaching, um, the school I worked at had... um, some staff members who had actually attended the school and then became teachers after they graduated from college. You had mm-hmm. parents who were uh, teachers' assistants and were on the lunchroom staff. The schools were like a family in a lot of ways because um, mm-hmm. you had people who had been working at the same schools 
all their career. Mm-hmm. Um, that's hard to find uh, today in black neighborhoods, uh, especially maybe on the north side you can find that. But in our community, if you can find a school building that's still actually opened as a school, you won't find a lot of people who are from the community or who have been in that school for a long time. Paul Vallis, um, with Mayor Daly, Paul Vallis, he laid the groundwork for what Rahm Emanuel did when he closed the 50 schools uh, or when he re, uh, reconstituted schools and gave them to AUSL mm. before um, he ever came into town. Starting with Paul Vallis, they started targeting schools. A lot of these schools sat on areas that were like um, coveted uh, areas of the city. You had um, some areas that had projects sitting on them. They started targeting those schools that served those students uh, and had them jumping through hoops saying that, you know, you have to get these test scores up or we're going to close you. And I, I had a friend at one of the schools, and they had everybody from the gym teacher, which was the position he had, to every teacher in the building spending time working with students, trying to get their reading scores up, get their uh, math scores up, working as hard as they possibly could. But guess what? They closed them because it wasn't about test scores or helping the children in those schools, it was about getting rid of that project that they lived in so that that land that's on State Street that's close to downtown mm-hmm. could be gentrified. And that's that was part of the agenda with some of the things they did. It's also a racist agenda where you take a school that has a historically black name attached to it and you get rid of that name. You're erasing the identities, the history of black folks in this city. I saw them come in and um, Paul Vallis talks about building so many schools during his tenure. Well, one school he built was Northside College Prep, far north side, 5400 uh, north on Mm-hmm. It's not exactly in the center of Chicago to attract people, right? So I don't think it was really mm-hmm. built for all of Chicago. I think you're right. My son happened, yeah, my son happened to be in the uh, freshman class at that school. Two-hour trip trying to go from our west side neighborhood to get down there. There were only a handful of blacks there. Still only a handful of blacks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, and even fewer black teachers, but... Somebody who was in that student body was Jerry Chico's daughter. Ooh, mm. is that a you know is that a coincidence that they got <laughs> that school built in an area where his own daughter could be in that freshman class? But while they were building schools, um, the schools he talks about building and the money he talks about he put into older buildings, he he did put some money in. Um, he uh, abated asbestos in the school I taught in, hmm. um, but we were in the building while the men walking around with their, wow. they looked like their hazmat suits wow. on. Put, yes, fully protected. Wow. But we weren't protected. 
um, there was no force field around us to protect us from the asbestos mm. that is airborne. But he did that for us. He also, <laughs> there were some other schools that I drove past as I went to work where they were doing all kinds of um, renovations on buildings that are or were about 100 years old because mm-hmm. I live in an area with very old buildings. So, you know, there was lead paint mm. on these buildings and inside these schools. But guess what? They still had the students and the staff going into these buildings during the renovations. Mm. Uh, total, total disrespect under uh, Valis with them taking um, test scores and mm-hmm. then holding you accountable for the test scores while at the same time opening up charter schools, brand new uh, schools. We had a brand new building by, by our school. Mm-hmm. They attracted some of our top students, um, brand mm-hmm. new building versus a 100-year-old building. And by the way, sometimes they would offer uh, incentives like, we'll give you $50 or $100 per child. Yep. Wow. Yep, they did. <laughs> that's my. That's one of my biggest issues with uh, mm-hmm. By the Hand um, Club for Kids. Uh, they got a charter school on the west side called Moving Everest. I hate the name alone to sound like so teaching black kids is like Moving Everest. But mm. um, that aside, they were literally paying black parents money, like hundreds, $100 or the promise of a computer to disenroll their children from the public school and enroll them into the charter schools. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. But we'll take, we'll take your top student, but if that sibling of that student has an IEP mm. or any type of behavior problem or is not a top student, we'll take the one child and the other child can stay in the neighborhood school. That's wow. what they did. And if you got over there and you had some behavior issues, you could get kicked right back out and you come to the neighborhood school. But at the same time that they were drawing away the top students from our school buildings, they started um, using test scores hmm. to determine whether or not you'd be on probation. Well, you took the best test takers and now you're going to punish the rest of the students because test scores dropped whereas mm. they should have been adding more resources don't punish the students and the staff because Come they're on. not achieving on this biased racist mm. standardized test why not give them the extra help so that they can give whatever skills that you're saying they need to get Miss Criswell, you mentioned something, too. Um, Mm -hmm. We know so many ways and trickery that they use to disinvest from our schools and to not make the playing field equal for our students. You mentioned something about how they changed the grading system. Can you talk a little bit about how they changed the grading system? And it was two different grading systems for one district, Mm -hmm. depending on what school you attended. Mm -hmm. So... uh, they told us this would make things more rigorous, right? Uh, so instead of getting a 90, instead of a 90 through a 100, the you know, the regular grading scale, instead of having that scale for an A, 80 to uh, mm-hmm. 89, B, et cetera, they changed it to in some of our schools where you had to get a minimum of 93% to get an A. Some schools even raised it to 95% 
to get an A. A B was something like 86 or 87 percent to that 92 percent. And the C was um, like in the 80s. It was outrageous. Meanwhile, at other schools in Chicago, like Oscar Mayer, where my children ended up, it was the regular scale, 70 to 80, 70 to uh, 79 C, 80 to 89 B, etc. And then the, the, the thing that's so disturbing about it was that to get into the selective enrollment schools, they looked at grades and they gave you points. So you might have a 92.9% average and you got three points because that's a B. And then somebody sitting in another school could have a 90 and they get four points because that's an A or even more outrageous outrageous than that. uh, You might have an 85 and you get the C and um, they have an 80 and they get the three points because that's a B. It was set up to um, keep our kids from getting into the selective enrollment schools. And if you check the selective enrollment schools, our populations, our population in the selective enrollment schools have dropped. Have significantly declined. Ms. Criswell, I'll I'll say this. I want to thank you, first of all, because as as a teacher and educator, you know, I taught for seven years. I I wasn't around. I I wasn't, I definitely wasn't teaching when Paul Vallis was CEO. CEO, And I had barely even started when Paul Vallis was CEO. But, (laughs) But the point I'm trying to get to, because Tara is interrupting me, the point I'm trying to get to is uh, there are a lot of educators nowadays who don't necessarily know who Paul Vallis is, right? And your Good stories, stuff. your stories are teaching us that. Um, and so I, my question to you is for, for folks like me, you know, folks that aren't necessarily aware of who Paul Vallis is, especially educators who are thinking of um, Paul Vallis uh, in this mayoral election, what would you say to them? I would say um, don't just believe the hype. Look at his record. He has a record. You can go online. There are a lot of articles um, that tell the damage that he has done, not just mm-hmm. in Chicago, but across uh, the country. Um, there was an article I read in the Chicago Reader, I believe. This was about five years ago, six years ago. They said uh, all the educational problems, mm-hmm. let's see, they could be connected back to Chicago and to Paul Vallis and the show, people who came from CPS who went to destroy um, systems outside of Illinois. Uh, Paul Vallis, his policies, I don't know what type of person he, he is, but his policies are racist. If you look at the number of black and Hispanic schools that close, he talks about building schools, but he also, um, they led to some closures in areas that are now gentrified where you used to have um, Puerto Ricans living and um, on the near north side. Um, hmm. every, everything that they did uh, with the test scores, you guys were talking earlier about uh, students aging out. Mm-hmm. There are also articles about how students dropped out Mm. Because of the humiliation of failing and being held back and held back when they should have been given a hand up 
mm-hmm. so that they could get the skills that they had missed. Um, it's, it's a racist policy when you look at what they've done on the west side and south side of Chicago. And what they've done here also affects the city as a whole. When when you take students, draw students from one school like they did at the school by my house, Pope School, which mm-hmm. is close to L- Little Village, right? At one time, when my children started at Pope School, they had Hispanic students at the school, too. Mm. But then they closed. They Well, they built schools in Little Village to draw away the mm-hmm. students from Pope School. So it perpetuated this brick and brown racism. So even with that, it was perpetuated, the racism that we see between black and brown, or the issues, the tensions we see between black and brown communities were per- perpetuated by people like Paul Vallis um, with school closures and school openings and, and doing that along racial lines. Thank you both um, to Miss Alice and to Miss uh, Renee who were guests today. Big thank yous. Big thank yous to to our elders, to these storytellers, people that we have to uplift, women that we have to uplift. Absolutely. Uh, because these stories are important, right? And and if you didn't learn anything today, because I'm sure you learned a lot, know that Paul Vallis is dangerous for our communities. And the people coming from New Orleans and Philadelphia this week, there will be a press conference on the 16th where they will be talking about the carnage That's that right. Paul Vallis left in their cities. So please um, stay woke, y'all. Uh, this is the most um, consequential election uh, coming up uh, in Chicago in recent history and everybody has to be accountable. Stay up Chicago, we love you.